Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian. (laughs) Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years, and have been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country, and now around the world, who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories, and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Jean. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Hi there. Today we chat with Debbie and Michael Campbell, a couple who's been married for 42 years and have always loved to travel. This is a special episode as we will not be focusing on one venue, but a multitude. The couple didn't retire there. Get it, Jean? They retired everywhere. Being fully nomadic means being able to live and work from anywhere and getting to sample tastes of the world and immerse yourself in cultures, traditions, new places, and experiences that can evolve your soul exponentially more in one year abroad than five years staying in the same place, according to Teal of worldpackers.com. Here's a little background about our guests. Debbie was born in Seattle, Washington, and attended community college and then advertising art school in Seattle. She enjoyed a successful career as a graphic designer and copywriter with her own firm, Tip Top Creative. I love that name, by the way. Specializing in hospitality, tourism, and events. Michael was born in Sacramento, California, and grew up in Seattle. He attended Santa Clara University and the University of Washington. As a young college student, Michael fell in love with Grand Prix racing. Wow. He became a professional race car driver and raced in the U.S., Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. He transitioned into managing racetracks on the West Coast before starting his own sports marketing company. His rewarding career in sports marketing led him to create dozens of events, including the World Indoor Paper Airplane Championships and the Seattle Boat Show. Paper airplanes, I love it. Debbie and Michael introduced their four children to international travel early on when they moved the family from Seattle to London in 1986, where they lived for five years. In London, Michael worked for ProServe, putting on professional golf and tennis events in Europe. Upon returning to Seattle, Michael ran for Congress in 1992. After losing his one and only political race, he returned to sports marketing until the couple retired in 2013 quite a career you two yeah 
Together, they've done some work for Airbnb over the past eight years, including speaking engagements and a three-month senior internship at the San Francisco headquarters in 2017. Debbie writes a blog, Senior Nomads, and maintains their social media. As senior nomads, the couple travel full-time. It all started at Christmas time in 2012 when their daughter Mary, who lives in Paris, asked if they ever heard of Airbnb. They had not. So Mary showed them how it works. Six months later, they sold their cars, their boat, their house, and most of their possessions and began to travel the world, living in other people's homes. Michael has a new job. He's taken on the role of chief travel planner (laughs) while Debbie runs the provisions and entertainment divisions. Over the past eight years, get this, you ready? They've traveled to 85 countries and called 270 Airbnbs home. The couple documented their retirement adventure in a book called Your Keys, Our Home, The Senior Nomad's Incredible Airbnb Journey, which we will list in the show notes. Debbie and Michael have four grown children and five grandchildren, and they are all in favor of their nomadic travels. So, hi, guys. Welcome to Retire There. You've been traveling the world since retirement, what, about eight years ago or so? And today you're in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and soon you'll be in another place. You know, when I first heard about you, I thought of the film Nomadland, but your journey is quite different. (laughs) So we have so many questions. Our listeners are waiting, bated breath. But let's first start off with, why did you really want to start this journey? It's a huge one. Well, thank you for having us, uh, Gil and Jean. We're happy to be here. And uh, oh, gosh, I guess this started when we began discussing retirement in 2012 or so, like before Mary came. And um, I said to Michael, I said, I just think we have one more adventure in us. And we've always kind of been risk takers. We've owned our own businesses. we traveled in unusual places and uh, we just like to do things full steam. And um, so we were looking for that adventure and Mary opened the door to Airbnb and I think that's what got us rolling. Sounds like that's a good recap. (laughs) (laughs) So psychologically, that must have been, um, you know, yes, you've traveled and vacationing is quite different. Kind of walk us through, how does one kind of get to that point psychologically was what was the most difficult part was it offloading all your possessions or what what was that like yeah I don't don't know it was particularly difficult it was it was fun it was energizing um I think we've been uh we we had full careers and we were kind of towards the end of those careers or or we could have been and this idea came to us and as Debbie said for a long time, she'd been commenting, you know, that we have one more jet ad- adventure in us. It just seemed like this one sort of the hit the bullseye. And we started thinking about it and doing some homework. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this is it. This is that one adventure we've been looking for. Good. So you're both in sync with the thinking. And Michael um, is the keeper of the budget and the spreadsheets. And uh, so really crunched the numbers several different ways and really kind of came into me one day in the kitchen and said, you know, we can do this. And once we both agreed that that was our, that's what we were going to do, 
it, it wasn't stressful. It was just, uh, there was a lot of things to do. So the to-do list got pretty long and the deadline began looming. So I guess there was some stress around that, but um, it seemed to come together. It's, it's interesting. You talk about um, the budget. I was, I was reading the book and sometimes, or I guess a lot of times you, uh, you negotiate a price with the, with the home, with the Airbnb people. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. And and what percentage of the time do they do they lower the price? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, um, let's see. We reach out to half a dozen hosts, potential hosts in each city, kind of interview them, if you will. <laughs> um, and oftentimes, a couple of them will come back with a special offer. Uh, I would say the term negotiate probably is a little misleading. I'm just going to say we reach out to hosts and say, what's the best price you can offer us? And oftentimes a host will come back and say, oh, okay, great. We'll lower it a little bit or we'll lower it a a little more depending on the season. So um, I'm going to say probably a quarter of the quarter of the hosts come back with some sort of a reduction in price. We don't negotiate. It isn't like, I think you guys are lawyers. I mean, we don't sit across the table. It's not like that at all. We think that we just say, "Hey, what's the best price you can give us?" Well, we're not traditional lawyers, so <laughs> we actually are afraid to. Negotiate. We don't like to negotiate. <laughs> we say, "How much was that?" Okay, we either can't afford it and walk away, or we, you know, we just go for it. So, where was the first country when you started this journey? Well, we thought that maybe Mary had an ulterior motive in the first place, and she lives in Paris with her husband and now three grandchildren. So I think she was really um, pointing to Airbnb as an opportunity for us to get to France more. So, of course, that's where we went first. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. And we were able to ease into to it. Um, they lived in, in Paris at the time. So we stayed there for a couple of weeks, and then we went out to the coast and stayed near her husband's family in Brittany. And then we rolled up our sleeves and said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to stay in Airbnbs. We better book one. <laughs> so, so Michael booked the first one in Amsterdam. Within about six weeks of arrival, we booked our first Airbnb, having no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but we did it somehow, and uh, and it was in Amsterdam. Okay. And when you get to your location, do you then decide how long you will be there after, you know, the first few days? Or do you guys have um, the itinerary already in plan, so to speak? Yeah, well, we, we have we've booked the specific Airbnb for a certain number of days. So we've pre-decided how long we're going to stay there. And we have probably lined up uh, another couple of Airbnbs after that. So just to make it simple, we probably have about three cities lined up, um, kind of rolling forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. A big container ship going across the ocean is pushing a bow wave, you know, big <laughs> water out in front of the container ship. And uh, so we have a bow wave of, you know, two or three Airbnbs ahead. <laughs> I like that. And what what's the average length of stay, would you say? So pre-COVID, it was around seven to 10 days. And so then COVID kind of threw things off. But so there's some two weeks, uh, kind of the, usually the longest one is two weeks. And sometimes it's just a couple of nights because we're moving through a country and, you know, we, we only want to have a car, which we only do a couple of times a year. But when we're when we're driving, sometimes we stay shorter times because we're anxious to get on the road and finish our road trip. 
Oh, okay. And maybe this was pandemic. What was the longest stay you've had so far and in what country? So last, let's say February, March, when COVID really hit, we were in Mexico, um, in, in fact, the city where we are now, in the same house, which is called San Miguel de Allende. Mm -hmm. And we ended up staying here for about three and a half months last year. And we've been back a couple of times since. We've been in this house right now for another couple of months. So that's oh, the long. Yeah, that, that's a great city, right? It is. It's beautiful. And this is as close as we come to a, a second home, a real home, uh, because we've been in this house enough, four times and we leave things in the cupboards. We even bought a bathroom scale. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a cat half here. <laughs> okay. So the cat belongs to the owner? It's a foster cat. So oh, I've oh. I volunteer at the animal shelter when we're here. It's very close by. And uh, I usually pick up a kitten to have during our stay. It's a bonus. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so nice. You say in the book, your favorite front door was a boat hatch in Italy. What was that like? <laughs> that was great. Um, we're boaters. Anyway, we had a sailboat that, um, that we sold when we started this adventure. And I often say I miss the boat more than the house. And uh, Airbnb offers boats. And we've probably stayed in half a dozen. Half a dozen. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Well, we really like that. It's an, it, we don't take the boats out. They're usually, you know, the restrictions are that they stay in the marina, but we love marinas. And we've been in the south of France. We've been in Croatia. We've been in Spain. We've been in Italy. We've been in Seattle. I mean, it's just a, it's a real nice way to see things in a different way. So, wow. you, so you do stay at some Airbnbs in the States then? Yeah, I would say, you know, 95% of our travel has been outside the U.S. But when COVID hit last year, Travel was really limited. Um, we ended up, we were in Mexico, as I told you. So last summer, last spring, we came back to the States and spent three or four months in the States, specifically campaigning for senatorial candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gave us a chance to kind of keep traveling and do something that we felt we really wanted to do leading up to the election. Ah, very nice. I'm sorry, Giltz, because your question earlier about long stays, and those also happen to be longer stays. We were in Montana for a month and Alaska for a month. So yeah, that was interesting. Because you stay in any location pretty much less than, let's say, 90 days or so, um, you really don't have any issues with visas, correct? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, our average day is probably seven to 10 days. But so the only visa issue that we, we do need to get visas for certain countries, um, but in Europe itself, um, you can only stay for 90 days within 180 days. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, that's an issue sometimes. Sometimes we've actually got a one-year long-term visa from France. And if you have that, then you're allowed to stay in the rest of Europe for the whole year. I think we've done that three different years. That's a, one, that's a great way. Okay, got it. And I assume you buy uh, international insurance. Is that correct? We do buy medical insurance. We do. Yeah. And how does that work if you're going from one continent to another, I guess? Is it one company that provides wherever you go? Yeah, it is one. Yeah. As long as you're outside the United States, it'll cover you wherever you are. Yeah, yeah probably except North Korea, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Can you tell our listeners, um, what do you look for in an Airbnb for those who haven't used any or, or a few, so on? Well, we have a list um, and we've gotten pretty good at it. We like uh, anywhere with a big table because we like to spread out. We like to do puzzles and play games, plus do our work, our blogs and things. We like um, 
strong Wi-Fi is important for us to be able to do what we do and travel plan and write. We like a little outdoor space if we can get it. Um, and we always try to stay in the center of the city. So Michael's tip on that is what, babe? How do we do that? Yeah, well, we want to stay in the center of the city because we like to walk and take public transportation. We rarely rent cars. We're kind of city mice, if you will, and our interest is to go to capital cities and absorb as much of the culture as we can, living as locally as we can in those major cities. So we try and stay in the center of the cities. Many cities um, have free walking tours. Those, quote, free walking tours where you tip the guide at the end usually leave from an interesting part of the center of the city um, because you're walking. So, And we usually, in a city that we don't know, will kind of center in on where the walking tour starts, um, that that's sort of the cultural center of the city. Mm-hmm. So we'll try and stay as close as we can to there. And I'll toss um, a kitchen in there because we cook most of our meals in and I love to cook and I love to go to the markets and try to cook locally and the cuisine of wherever we are. I really look hard at the pictures of the kitchen. Yes. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a good tip. And when you go from place to place, and I know you have an itinerary over, you know, let's say after 10 trips, do you ever get stressed? of the move? Does it get to the point where you go, oh, I have to pack again? And is is there any stress associated with that? <laughs> oh, probably a little bit, but we've really got a good mindset around traveling forward. Um, and we're looking forward to the next home. We're looking forward to the next host in the next city. And we just kind of get into a, into a, a routine. You know, it's travel day. We're extra nice to each other on travel day. Mm-hmm. We're gentle on ourselves and we just settle in and that's where we live. Mm-hmm. I think that's the second time you brought up the word stress. I, I, I'd like to think we're pretty stress-free. You know, living on Earth uh, means <laughs> that you're constrained by all sorts of, of things. So it's not nirvana what we're doing. But mm-hmm. um, I think what keeps you going is, if kind of come back to my uh, analogy of a bow wave, um, if we're in Stuttgart and we're on our way to Munich and after that we're going to go to Lyon in France, We've already booked um, our Airbnb in those places, you know, two weeks, four weeks out in front. And we have a vision for where we're going. Um, if you think of it this way, okay, here we are. We're done in Stuttgart. We did what we came to do. We need to pack up because we're heading to Munich. And after that, we need to pack up because we're heading to Lyon. And there's mm-hmm. there's a carrot out there. Does that make sense? That, yes. That we, that we have set for ourselves that is that we're looking forward to. Yeah, I, I would say... It, it, it doesn't feel stressful. When we pack up, we have we have these, um, what do you call it, packing cubes? Does that make sense? You yes, know? yes. All the T-shirts go in this one and then the shorts go in the other one. And, and so, like, I have nine. I know I have nine in my suitcase. Okay, great. One, two, three, four, five. Where is, you know, okay, great. There's the ninth one. Stuff them in there and uh-huh. pull it up and off you go. Have you figured out how to pack light or, or your, your suitcase is pretty heavy? <laughs> you know, that's, people ask us all the time, what's in your suitcase? And... For me, it could be any number of things. I mean, there's the basics, but then, you know, I'll pick things up along the way and then trade things out. And uh, we pretty much use the entire 23 kilo you're allowed on any given airplane. Ah, (laughs) nice, nice. (laughs) You know, that's everything we feel is essential at that point. And it's two suitcases, two backpacks and a purse and maybe sometimes an extra bag of food or something if we're, you know, traveling on a bus or a train. And I I would add, you know, we we have a, a suitcase scale. Do you have one? I don't know. You know what? Yeah, we have one. We have one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like um, a suitcase scale and you're weighing um, your little teeny carry-on bag, you know. <laughs> it's um, a large, large duffel bag on the floor. I'm straddling it, and I've got the suitcase scale, you know, pulling up. I've learned how to pull it up 50 pounds without working my back, um, which I did early on. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. So, then I, then I, so if you convert it to kilos, 23. So Debbie, hey, Debbie, you know, you know you're at 24 here. You got to get rid of some- <laughs> And I'm going to put it in your suitcase. There's a negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of stress. I think it's usually around travel weight if we're flying, but sure. if you're on a train or a a bus um, or you've you know, decided to rent a car once or twice a year, but it is stressful for you because it's more weight and stuff for Michael to carry. And he's my shirt bus. So right. I try to. Yeah, I guess I ask that because whenever we go on vacation, but I guess the mindset is different, right? Once a year you go maybe twice on vacation. When we get home, I always take a day off before I go back to work because I just need to decompress. So I was just wondering, like, if you're on the move as much as you are, you know, do you have to that, you have that decompression, but I guess you guys have done it for so long that you're used to it. And maybe it's just not there anymore. Right. Does that make sense? We also say we're not on vacation, daily lives in other people's homes. So when we get to a city, we don't feel like you do when you're on vacation. We have to do this. We have to take this tour. We have to go to this museum. We do those things. But if we miss one, we miss one. And we don't have anybody back at the office or back home to say, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't go to the restaurant you recommended or we didn't go to the Eiffel Tower. We just kind of decompress when we get there, in fact, or get our stuff. Mm. And I would say also the nuance is you are um, if you if you if you had a graph, you know, and you're uh, going along on a graph, kind of on a flat line, and you're working, and then boom, you're on vacation. You gotta like go up and like yes, you know, like spread for two weeks, and we're gonna get it all done, and then yeah. You you have re-entry. So we don't have re-entry. Right. Does that make sense? That's a you great know? point. Yes, absolutely. And as Debbie says, you know. People don't know where we are or they don't care where we are, including our kids. And no one's asking us, oh, my God, did you go to that restaurant? Oh, why didn't you go to the Louvre the third time? Yeah. It's just kind of it is our life. And we're just kind of rolling forward in different cities, in different homes. OK, got it. Yeah, It's interesting. You say in your book for us, arriving in a new city is like coming home. You get home and you sit down and watch TV or whatever, just just like you get home anywhere. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, we do do that. And, you know, sometimes we're home for a day and a half before we really kind of even go out and start exploring. And we travel with our bed pillows. We put those down. Um, Michael runs around and looks at the Wi-Fi connections right when we get there. I go to the kitchen and see what I got to work with because I have cooked in 270 kitchens. And <laughs> so it is kind of like the same things you would do when you got home. Every two weeks. That's a great way of looking at it. Can you tell us about the best and worst living experiences you've had? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) They're all the best one day at a time. Um, When you get older in life and you have friends that have illness and have even, you know, passed on, putting it all in perspective, okay, you missed the train or the, (laughs) you know, the place isn't as nice as you hoped it would be, or, you know, the host didn't just hug you and love you. And they they just said, here's the key. I, you know, I don't know. Or the sink doesn't work or the shower doesn't work or whatever. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, it's life. It's life. And um, so uh, we haven't had any horrible experiences and we've had an incredible number of wonderful experiences. So none of the cities had any kind of 
any kind of a surprise where you thought, oh, you know, this, I don't think I want to spend two weeks here. Maybe we should shorten it or anything like that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Out, of, out of so many cities, I don't think we can just rattle those off, but it's, it's our choice. And that's the other thing. We're not stuck. We haven't committed to, you know, too long. And if we're having an Airbnb, that's not our favorite. The good news is, is we've got another one in another Couple 10, of days, days, 10 days. And mm. so it's only a temporary situation and we can, you know, you can live through, through anything. So uh, but but you you raise a good question you know because we're if we're sort of thinking we're four to six weeks out in terms of our planning that means I'm I'm asking Debbie today okay a month from now when we go to blank you know how long do you want to stay well I don't know what do you want to say I don't know how about three days well how about five days well <laughs> let's do four days and, and so you could get there and think oh you know we really didn't need to be here that long I mean if you've ever been to you know. Chisinau in Moldova, you don't really need to spend that a nope. long time there. You don't speak <laughs> Russian. There's so many things to say. And you can also find a situation where, oh, we wish we were staying here longer. Well, we'll just, we'll come okay. back. We'll come back. We'll come back. Okay. It's interesting you bring up languages. Do either of you speak other languages? I'm learning French. That's my um, 2021 commitment. But otherwise, no. And and we don't, we just we just don't think that should be an impediment for people not to try. We've encountered almost 50 languages. And so which one would you pick to be your second one? So what we do is we're just as polite as possible. We learn a few phrases in every language so that we can approach a stranger and say, excuse me, I'm sorry to interrupt, or can you help me? Or, you know, good morning, good afternoon. I'd like to eat that. I think people appreciate that you make an effort. And if, you, if you're nice and you speak English, I think people will be amazed how many people do speak English, but don't tell you that they do. And I'll beware of what you say on trains and in public places, because, you know, there's probably a lot more people that understand what you're saying than you think there might be. Right, right. I can imagine. In today's world, where everything is so much easier to travel because of the Internet and all the apps and so forth, uh, Google Translate or any sure. of the number of apps that are out there are um, wonderful and can save your bacon and help you. And so we use Google Translate all the time. Yeah, I was reading, you use it to um, get to your accommodations, right? We use it all the time, you know, yes, in stores and and um, with taxi drivers, and taxi drivers, and yeah, no, it's um, or even to have a conversation. Remember, we were on the train with those kids, and you had a back and forth in Czech or Russian. Wow, Google is an amazing company. <laughs> right, the products they make are just um, incredible. I'm fascinated with your experience as a race car driver. Did that come in handy in your travels at all? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Other than I'm a big sports nut, and um, and one of the real pleasures for me, and sometimes for Debbie, is to go to sports events, particularly in around the world, soccer slash football. Um, yeah, no. Um, well, we have, but we have revisited some racetracks. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we've gone to racetrack. We've gone to we've gone to Monaco where I raced, and we've gone to other places and seen racetracks where I raced and um, there's a lot of memories um, tied up um, having raced in different parts of the world. So yeah. yeah, it's interesting you mentioned soccer because as I imagine it, soccer around the world in different countries, the fans are way more fanatical than any football fan here. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Michael's well, gone to a lot of really amazing matches and I type well, along sometimes. It's fun. Yeah, it must yeah. be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more important than life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. 
So have you purchased anything special from your trips and how do you handle that? Do you ship it somewhere for safekeeping or do you just try to pack it in your luggage? Oh, that's funny. We don't, we don't buy souvenirs. We really don't buy anything. We have a, a rule that says if you can't eat it, drink it, get somewhere on it, go to someplace, go, you know, like attend, attend something, something, then don't buy it. Um, and if you need to buy a new shirt, you better be willing to get rid of an old shirt. So we don't buy souvenirs. Although when we were in Turkey, the rug sellers there were so aggressive. We kept telling them, we don't have a house. They're like, we don't care. We'll keep it for you till you get a house and then we'll ship it to you. So <laughs> yeah, I hear those rugs are gorgeous. Yes. Sometimes because we're on our way to see family, we have grandchildren in France or we're heading home for the holidays, but for ourselves, we really, sometimes I think even if we started to collect magnets, we'd have, you know, 500 magnets by now. Yeah. Oh, Lord. It's a good thing you didn't start that. Are there any creature comforts that you miss or has that kind of dwindled? Well, I think the world is shrinking again. I mean, we can watch American television if we want to. We have an Amazon Fire Stick now. We've got our bed pillows. Since I like to cook, we cook a lot of meals that we're used to eating in America too. So comfort foods. We have routines that way. And we had downsized to the house in Seattle already. So that house was already, you know, we were in the in the downsizing phase of our life. So we don't miss a big house or having a lot of possessions. I, th- I thought in the book, you said the one thing you may have missed was the Volkswagen bug convertible. Is that right? <laughs> that was my car. And yes, I do miss that car. <laughs> but as Michael tells me sometimes when I get a little sad about that, he said, there's always another car. There's always another house. Always another boat. We don't have to. This doesn't mean I don't, I can go buy that same car when we get home if I want to. Okay. Where did you spend the least amount of time in what country and why? Because we, we've covered so many countries on our show. Um, let, let, let's hear from you guys. I think of Andorra because we just wanted to tick that off the list as another country and it's so tiny. So we went there. I think we stayed two, two nights. nights. <laughs> Where is that? Andorra? In the, in the Pyrenees between France and uh, Spain. Okay. A little mountainous country. Yeah. The Olympics, they'll have like two athletes. <laughs> Can you tell us why it was such a short trip there? What about that city made you go there? And then was it a surprise to find something out that, hey, I think I want to leave here in two days? Uh, no, we'd, again, we had already committed. So let's just say we're in Barcelona um, and can picture Barcelona kind of in the, the New York of Spain in that corner. That's what mm-hmm, I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and the border... Um, with uh, with France is just north a little bit. Um, there's this little teeny country and it's in the mountains. And so, okay, well, there's a bus, we'll go. We'll, let's get an Airbnb. Oh, we can't find anything. Oh, we can stay with this other couple and have a room in the house in Andorra. Whether it was two nights or three nights, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. But we had already committed to the two or three nights and it turned out to be wonderful. But it was enough. It was enough, yeah. I mean, the country's probably, is, you know, it's like... This is important. Three, four miles across or something. Yeah. It's the teeniest little country. It's one of the mm, mm, okay. micro countries or whatever they might call them. But one of the joys of how we travel is we can do that. We have the time to say, hey, let's go over there. Stay for two days or four days or a week. I mean, whatever we want to do. We just we meander with a plan, but we have the flexibility of making those kind of decisions, which people that are traveling on vacation don't. Was it difficult to get to Cuba and was it difficult to travel around Cuba? And and how was that in general? I'm really glad we went. We went at a time when it wasn't particularly difficult. It was it was doable. And we had 
it's a few years ago, um, and I can't remember every single detail, but I'm really glad we went. And we stayed in Airbnbs because Airbnb had just started there, and that was big news. And uh, we had, we were in a conference, an Airbnb conference in 2015, and they announced that. Yeah. And so they had some Cuban hosts at that conference. So we spoke to the hosts and kind of got an idea of how we might do it. And so we stayed in Airbnbs in Cuba, and you know, and you can't book them direct in fact you have to the one of the ones that we booked the the book to a relative in canada mm-hmm. remember so it's a, a little complicated we write about it in the book um and you stay with people stay with cubans because they don't have you know individual standalone airbnbs like we usually use we always stayed with someone yeah and it was a cultural it was magical it was really a cultural cultural experience do they still have a lot of the old cars there they sure. do have a lot of the old cars um and because you mentioned earlier about my interest in cars it was fun to see a lot of 1957 Chevys and <laughs> and so forth. Some of them have engines that were in other cars, other cars, or <laughs> or in diesel trucks or whatever it is. But you know, just you know, keeping them alive through um, bailing wire and duct tape, I guess. But um, I think that the, the main thing about Cuba is, um, and this here's, uh, I'm going to give you an opinion. Going going there is a chance to see what a failed state looks like in the 21st century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Castro's vision of Nirvana on his island has not proven true and that the people there are well, behind the curve yeah. compared to all sorts of other countries in the world. Not the poorest, not Haitia, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not heaven on earth. And I feel sorry for the people who live there. So here's a question that one of my friends had. Do you have plans in place in case of an adverse situation? Let's say you're somewhere abroad and, you know, something happens. Well, I suppose it depends on where you are, how easy it is to react to an adverse situation. Um, it's certainly easier in France than Cuba, certainly easier in Italy than Rwanda. So I think we land where we are and we're not as good about this as we should be, but we try to figure out what's the emergency number, what's the closest pharmacy, where are, you know, where's a medical clinic. The you risk know? management department <laughs> is closed um, and... The word adverse is um, not really in our vocabulary, you know. Yeah. If I fall and break my leg or Debbie does, I guess we'll deal with it. At oh, that touch time. wood so far, so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Do you inform or is there a shared document on the cloud somewhere uh, so that your family knows where you are at any given point? Yes. Michael does does go to a great deal of effort to write and tell them where we are, and then we never hear from anybody. Okay. So at least we know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> they really trust us to make good decisions. They just do not worry about us. And I'm 65, Michael's 75, mm-hmm. and we're in really good health and really enjoy what we're doing. <clears throat> so no one's ever saying, oh, mom, dad, you should stop. You need to come home. You need to settle down Live next door to us so you can look after the kids, which we won't do. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sounds like you, Gil. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you know, for me, it's, uh, I am a I'm a risk manager, actually, from various jobs. And I come from a large family. There's seven kids. We've kind of, we have this understanding whenever any of us travels, we just send our travel itinerary to each other. So the siblings know, oh, that plane landed or or in the past there was, um, you know, unfortunately, a, an uh, aircraft crash. And 
they couldn't find us. Or so my sister was in Barcelona and there was a bombing. Oh, during the big bombing, yeah. Yeah. We were like, oh my God, I know you're you're in the middle of town. Are, are you okay? Are you okay? I just think it's uh, it's a good practice that I've been like that since in my 20s, I guess, since <laughs> I moved were, away. Since you were three, I think. Yeah, maybe since I was three. But it's comfortable for me, a secure feeling knowing that, you know, if my sister's in Shanghai, which, you know, she went to, that I knew she landed and um, that that everything was okay, and that you know if she went into the hospital, that um, there was someone there who could then let me know what was going on with her. So th- those are the reasons why I asked. Okay. To that to that point, um, my next blog I think is going to be titled "Where Things Are," because part of nomadic travel is you do have a responsibility to get information out to your family about not only where you are, but if something happened to you, what they need to do. Exactly. So bank accounts. Uh, passwords, you know, things like that and what we want done. And so we do have that, that we leave every year with our oldest son and our youngest son um, in a binder, um, you know, in the cloud. So we do that. And we're not just completely off the off the grid. Right, right. Okay, good, good. I think we're in agreement. And, and you say you live by the, the Boy Scout rule. Does that just mean being prepared? Or what is that? What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's probably the part about, yeah, but leaving the place you know, it's cleaner, better than you found it. I mean, so we we pride ourselves that when we leave an Airbnb, um, that the host is going to be uh, pleased when they find the condition that we left it in. And so the reviews are really important to us. And that's our kind of our currency in the community. Um, so anybody who we reach out to and, and, and are requesting to stay in their Airbnb can look and see all of our reviews. Um, so we're really proud of those. That's leaving the place really nice and getting a good review is important to us. I agree. Online business these days, the oh, reviews yeah. are critical. You know, whenever you buy something from eBay or, you know, they, they hound you with those reviews. And I, I, I totally get that because I also sell on eBay and I want that uh, same result. Okay. We, we read the reviews of the hosts very carefully because that's where the truth lies is in the comments. I mean, that oh, the bed was this or the shower was that, or, you know, the host didn't meet us or did. So, um, but to address an earlier question, Jill, um, as far as managing an adverse situation, we think of our host in the next city as our friend in that city. So our Airbnb hosts are expecting us. So if we don't show up, that's the first person who's going to say, you know, the Campbells were supposed to check in yesterday and we never heard from them. Um, I think that that's also a, a place that our, in our kids, may not know our itinerary, but they could sure call Airbnb in a pinch and say, where did they book? So anyway, we do have someone looking forward to us arriving. Oh, that's key. That's good to yeah, know. That's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because we've stayed in a few. They just, I guess, texted us the lock, the, oh, the door, code. Yeah, the, the, code. the door code. And we didn't see them for the week. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I could just give this code to anyone and, and anyone could just <laughs> come and take advantage. So I, 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 and then we've had some people who have been genuinely um, just warm and welcoming and we did feel at home. We did feel at home. So yes, it makes all the difference in the world to have that connection. Okay. And I was going to say just to tag on there, we really look for those hosts in the reviews. Um, we look for hosts that do interact with their guests and give them, uh, you know, um, preference when we're selecting our Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I'll make one little comment about the codes. I mean, there's all sorts of different systems and things have evolved, but um, now I think in many of them where they do have codes, 
they, um, they're tied to the internet. And the minute you check out, they change that they code, change. Yep. The code for their next guest. Right, right, right. Just like the, uh, the hotel key cards. Do you long for a place back in the States? Is that something that is maybe in a future plan, get some roots down, or is that just not even a thought at this point? I'm guessing no. <laughs> okay, Gene, let's take a bet. <laughs> we say we're going to continue doing this as long as we're learning every day, we're having fun, we are in good health, we're close to our budget, and we're in love. Because um, there's no reason otherwise not to do it. And with the housing market the way it is in yeah. Seattle, hometown, I doubt we'll ever buy or live in Seattle again. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our other kids live in Paris and Hermosa Beach, California. So not nobody's living in an affordable market. We mm-hmm. could even just rent for longer stays in each of those places and just keep rolling. And I'll, I'll give you this um, uh, analogy because we talked about boats and sailing and many sailors dream of sailing around the world. That's Nirvana uh, for them. And they plan a whole life and then, you know, 9% of them don't, but 1% of them do. And then when they do and they leave their house and they're on their boat and they're going to sail around the world. And after the third week or seventh week or third month, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't even like this. I hate this, you know, but we, sure. can't, we can't go home. I mean, like, this is so embarrassing. Our whole life, everybody knows we've been planning for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is not our situation. We are only doing this because we want to do it. And the minute we don't want to do it, we're going to stop doing it and we're going to do something else. If we longed to put down roots and move to Billings, Montana, we would do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But right now. So far, we're still circling the airport because we haven't decided <laughs> where to land. I think that you're right at the beginning of the show. It's retire anywhere because, you know, we go to we go to cities that we say, oh, you know, we can live here. And we put it on the list, but then we move on. So Right, right. No, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. Okay. Any um, parting words of wisdom for our listeners or those who wish to follow suit? Don't let possessions or your resources get in the way of trying this. People ask us what our budget is, and we always hesitate to say because you could do this for far less than we spend or far more than we spend. So just start baby steps, whether your dream is to do what we're doing or your dream is to cycle across America, or your dream is to sail around the world, or, you know, whatever you want to do in retirement or near retirement. I know you're going to be making that decision, but try to let the boundaries be as limited as possible. Life is short, and uh, whatever your North Star is, for the people that are listening, you know, only you know what it is. And don't let all the convenient no's get in the way of pursuing that that dream. And um, we all want only get one chance at this life. And, you know, you can tell we are so blessed, mm-hmm. incredibly blessed. I just would encourage people to follow their own North Star and in, in, in whatever phase they are in life. Great. Wow. I, I great love advice. what you did. And you guys have such a great attitude. It's just wonderful to hear. And yeah. it's inspiring. It really is. I'm yeah. really uplifted. We've been married for 42 years and we are happier together than we've ever been. Because as Michael often says, we're rowing the boat in the same direction. So, you know, when you're, both in the thick of your careers and you've got kids and everybody's running around and you see your spouse kind of in the morning and in the evening, we're <laughs> 24 hours a day. So don't do this unless it's with someone you truly love spending time. With. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best advice ever. <laughs> okay. On that note, Michael and Debbie Campbell, we thank you so much for joining us and we yeah. wish you all the best. Yeah. We really appreciate that you took the time to do this. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Can't wait to see where you guys end up. Yeah, us too. (laughs) I think our our plan is to pick one place in the States and then travel maybe uh, three months at a time to another country. So far, that's what we're going to do, but we may we may change our right. minds. Right. You, you never know, right? After yes. each episode, we're like, hmm, maybe we should add that in. <laughs> right. And maybe we'll move everything into a storage container. But I, I do long for, I guess, because growing up in a, in a very tight household with a lot of kids, I long for a place of my own, which we now have. And that's why we have one child, um, because we took care of so many. Well, we took care of parents on both sides. And and when they were going through their ups and downs and illnesses, I want I have this vision of a place that I want a very modern, you know, with the warm fireplace, beautiful kitchen, simple, but very simple, minimalistic in a way. And then we'll just keep coming back and forth. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks again. Bye bye. Okay. bye. bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.